in society. So you get all this uh, money printing, right? And I, I guess where this is really going is like how how does like everyone says all this money printing is coming into like existence, right? And it's like, well, how come we haven't seen crazy hyperinflation yet? Um, you know, but you have these huge asset bubbles. So like, it it really comes down to like I I mentioned it before. It's like that they call it that Cantillon effect or whatever, and it, and it basically just says that where the money, you know, whoever's closest to the money benefits from the money. It, it, and and the the further down you go, that there's just no benefit from it. So right now you don't see tons of consumer inflation, but it's undeniable that like, I mean the money has to go somewhere, right? So so what I guess what you really have is the only tool that the Fed has is to create asset bubbles. That's all they do. Because if you look at uh, people's purchasing power, like most families' purchasing power are held within their home. Like that's that's their biggest savings. That's their biggest asset. So they they pump those by manipulating interest rates. So if they manipulate interest rates down, the prices of homes go up. Homes are probably the easiest example. So the prices of homes go up. But like if you're not hedged to a home, I mean you don't feel any of the effects of all of the money printing. I don't know if that made any sense, but effects like so I have a home. Does that mean I'm better off with inflation? Well, yeah, you're down. So you, it's scary because like all like everyone thinks like money printing. I don't know. You'll get arguments from both sides that it doesn't affect anything. It does affect things, but in reality, what it does is is it creates a two tier society. It creates haves and have nots, and what you're seeing now, like, I wish we could, like, pull up charts, like, so, it's all a matter of manipulation of interest rates. It dictates this entire thing. So, the U.S. 10-year yield, okay, on bonds, historically, is tied to mortgage rates. Like, it, it, it's not a direct correlation, but it, it's pretty damn close, and it has been for decades, right? And, and you can bring up Fred charts or whatever, Federal Reserve charts. And it just shows that, you know, what the Fed is doing is, is they just, they buy, they're buying everything, right? So, so they don't let anything fail. So in a typical, you know, free market or, you know, pseudo free market economy, the cure, like they say it all the time, the cure for high prices is high prices, right? When, when something gets out of someone's price range, the demand drops and prices come down. It's like economics 101, supply and demand side. But when the Fed artificially creates an asset bubble and, and lets things not correct to, you know, there's no price discovery mechanism. That's what they, that's what they call it. Like if the house is worth X, right? And the, and the Fed doesn't let it fall, even though it should, right? However many people in the local economy, whatever their salaries may be, whatever the general income is for that area, like it dictates what the housing prices are and what they can afford in that area. But and, and, and the interest rates on mortgages usually get dictated by the U.S. 10-year, which is incredibly manipulated by the Fed. So the Fed, to backstop the entire stock market, buys up these bonds. And by buying bonds, they can take the U.S. 10-year uh, yield up or down at will because they, I mean, they have unlimited power to do so. And then they can manipulate mortgage rates down by buying mortgage-backed securities. So, like, if you look at... If you even think about what a bank does when they when they offer leverage to people to buy homes, right? Like, like especially up here. So you're buying a house from 
that's built in 1905. Right? The thing's built in the fucking turn of the century. Right? You're going in the, you're going in the basement. The thing's got, it's got boulders as a foundation and a fucking tree trunk holding the house up. And whatever, you got radiators, you got all these old ass oil heaters, all this stuff. The thing's the thing is over a hundred years old. You got a fucking whale gas lamp in a hallway. And I feel th- personally attacked. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing, the thing is worth the thing is worth over a half a million dollars, right? And it's like where where is that like evaluation coming from? Like where is that price coming from? And it it's all from uh, interest rates. So if uh, you know. Naturally, right? Interest rates will rise. If things get overheated, people can't afford things. The the banks, uh, you know, their their lending practices get too risky. In theory, interest rates would rise. Uh, it would be harder to lend money to people, and then and then you know, housing would top, and it would and it would retrace a little bit. It would come back down, back into where the local market uh, could afford the houses, and then you know, and then it would continue, and that that would be a healthy a healthy uh, everything would be in healthy market order, like it would be working properly. But what you get instead is these banks loan out money. Hey, they got these thirty-year fixed mortgages or whatever at at three percent, three and a half percent. And they, and they so they give them out to a, a single person or, or a family that's making X amount of dollars, right? And they can half of their income goes to paying this mortgage, and they say, okay, you know, we're willing to take that risk. Here's four hundred thousand dollars to go buy this asset that's actually a liability. So then they go buy it. They don't get raises for X amount of years, right? And they can barely make their payments. But then these housing prices go up. So like, how the hell are they going up? How are people affording more of a house? And it's, it's because if the Fed can manipulate interest rates lower, the purchasing power of these average people go up and justify, justify the higher prices, even if there's no justification in, you know, an increase in output in the economy or, or raises and things like that. So these banks, like, you got to think of a bank. If a bank is giving someone a loan, it's the most high-risk thing. Like, it's such a risky bet, right? So you get some average person... And they're gonna give them five x their net worth in a loan to buy a house from that's 110 10 years old. That's incredibly risky. So what these banks do is they give them out with these mortgage companies because a lot of times it's just mortgage companies at this point, wholesale mortgage companies. I mean, as soon as they get them, they're, they're all just getting federally backed, or, or they flip them to the Fed. So the Fed then just goes in and buys them, and under these mortgage-backed securities or whatever, and it's basically a backstop that nothing can collapse. So that's why you get these massive asset bubbles because it, it, we're, we're so far from what would be considered a free market. In a free market, there, there's no such thing as asset bubbles in a free market because when things become bubbles, they pop and then they return to fair value. So if anyone tries to tell you that what we're in right now is anything sort of a free market, it, it's absolutely not. It, it's a completely rigged game on every single level. And but... Um isn't there a factor of supply and demand, especially with the pandemic going on, everyone trying to get out of the cities? So houses will rise because, let's say there's, whatever, 10 bidders all going for one house. They're just going to try and outbid each other to try and get the house. Yeah, no, there's definitely some merit to that. Or like, it's almost like, um, I don't know, people, you hear people talking, they're like, oh, the, the, stock, the stock market, the real estate market. It's like, 
you can't generalize, right? This country is huge. The, the world is huge. North America is huge. I mean, there's, there's local real estate markets everywhere. So and they're all going to have their different dynamics. So for, for people to just say, oh, yeah, the real estate market is hot. It's up. It's down. It doesn't really make sense, right? So you have to think. You have to, like, you have to zoom. You can't take such a 10,000-foot view. Sometimes you got to zoom in a little bit more. So, yeah, there has been an exodus on a lot of cities in New York. Uh, Boston, even San Fran, like these high-priced, high-tax cities that actually create real estate booms, right, a, a higher demand in some of the more suburb areas, uh, you know, not, not necessarily out in the country, but 30 minutes out of the city, 40 minutes out of the city, and then you have these local real estate booms. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of different uh, supply and demand side, you know, factors that, that get built in that, that justify it. So, like, if that's the argument to justify, you know, crazy high prices, that it, it's definitely part of the equation, but it's not, it's not all of it. So it, it's just, it's, it's scary because a lot of, a lot of people who own homes now, they, they've been through the, you know, the collapse, whatever that was 10 years ago, you know, right? 10 years ago or so. And, and they, you know, they're, they're fearful. They think that's going to happen again, which is, which is the right thing to think. That's the right thing to assume because in, in a, in a normal environment, yeah. All right. Maybe it's time to start raising some cash. Maybe it's time to start, uh, you know, letting things pull back a little bit. But in reality, if you look a little bit closer, the game has changed and it's changed in a big way, not for the better, in my opinion, but it is what it is. And sometimes you have to call a spade a spade. And, you know, you look at you look at the prices of like lumber. Right. So like builders, lumber has I mean, it's exponential growth right over this past year. It's like 400 percent. Uh, gain more expensive, right? You go to Home Depot, you're buying fucking particle board, and the and the thing's sixty, seventy bucks. Like what the? F I mean, it, it's it's insane. So there's another justification in that too, right? So you got this house it, it built in 1905, and you know last year or the year prior it was selling for 350 grand, and this year the thing's about you know it's getting appraised at five hundred thousand dollars, and you're like, okay, what happened? Nothing happened. No improvements were made to the house. Like nothing, but. How can you justify it? You can justify it because the Fed has manipulated rates lower, giving the average man more uh, buying power. So, so all of a sudden they can afford, uh, you know, a higher price house. And you look at the cost of building a new home. So, the cost of building that same house, right? That same 1910 house, same square footage. All of a sudden, the cost of building it through regulations, through whatever, ta uh, whatever uh, building uh, material, right? Prices that have since skyrocketed. And you go to build that house, and the thing's six hundred fifty thousand dollars to 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 build it, or you could buy an existing home at you know five hundred thousand dollars, which would still be overpriced considering it was three fifty last year. So you have all of these dynamics that that justify the price. Not you know it's not proper, like it's not a proper justification, but it's what it's what's happening. You know, so I think the the scariest thing is if interest rates rise. So I don't, you know, that that's that's the biggest risk to the, these massive, massive asset bubbles. Now you think it's scary because you're afraid people like the expenses will get too much that people won't be able to pay, and well, then they'll have to foreclose on their homes. Yeah. So so there's there's so many different things in in play, and that's like why why I keep saying like it's not you know there, there's nothing there's no free market at this point. There's no there's no you know price true price discovery. Everything has some backstop. Everything is rigged in some way. So the housing market, because we, we keep talking about that, that's probably the easiest example. It's the most relatable to everyone. But if you lower interest rates, 
okay, all of a sudden people have more purchasing power. If interest rates rise, which they do in a natural market, interest rates rise and fall based on whatever, inflation, what, what people make in, in their local economy, et cetera. But right now what you're seeing is like if, if interest rates were to rise, okay, typically home prices fall or at least plateau. Because if interest rates rise, it's more expensive to own the home. Okay, you can you can based on your income, you can leverage. The bank will give you less money to buy the house. Okay, so if the if the market is selling single family homes at four hundred thousand dollars, you know, and, and at an interest rate of two and a half percent, if that goes back up to whatever three and a half four percent, which which is not uncommon. I mean, like interest rates on mortgages have you know up to twelve percent. Like that that's all that's typical. Uh, all of a sudden, your purchasing power at whatever your income level is goes down dramatically. And when people can't buy these houses, okay, the housing market comes down. So the biggest risk right now to the Fed and the biggest risk right now to at, at least the U.S., because we're just talking about the U.S., is would be rising interest rates. Like in a natural economy, you should have them rise and fall, and, and it keeps the market healthy. But instead, if, if any interest rates rise, that's it. It's over. The game's over. Because all of a sudden, these home prices start coming down. All of this purchasing power starts coming down. You have all these loans that are, that are leveraged to, you know, just out of touch with reality prices. And then the snowball effect could be absolutely huge. And then, and, and, and you could really have, you could wipe out a significant amount of purchasing power from the country at a time when the government, the Fed is trying to stimulate, right? They're trying to stimulate inflation by just pumping mass amounts of money out to the public. But the issue with that is it's it's not it's not um, it's not targeted enough, right? So so they want to target, they want to generate some uh, inflation, they want to generate some growth, people spending, people back to work, and stuff like that. But it, the way they're doing it by you know they they buy these corporate bonds, corporate debt, and prop up stock market, prop prop up asset bubbles, and things like that. That doesn't get money into the hands of the people who are actually struggling. Right, so when you look at how much money printing has been put out just over this past year, and you look at you know what, where the stock market is, where the you know the one percent or however however much wealth that they've generated, and you look at the you know the middle class has completely as, at this point basically just fallen into a lower social economic tier, and it's just not it's not equal. The the delivery method of the of the increase in money supply is just it's not targeted. Do you know what would cause interest rates to rise? So interest rates would rise if inflation were to run too hot, right? Or, or if people, you know, can't afford. It, it's, all about, it's all about risk, right? It's about risk tolerance. So, like, if you, for one second, like, pretend you're a banker. Right, pretend you're a banker instead of the. We're always on the buy side of the equation, right? We're wanting to buy a home, buy stock, whatever. Pretend you're the banker giving someone a loan, right? And you're you're so and so making whatever sixty, seventy grand. They're like, all right, you know, I, I it's time for me to buy a house, and the bank says, okay, well, we're willing to take X amount of risk on you, okay, because you make this much, and they're they're gonna give you whatever three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars in hopes that based on your income you can continue to pay it and they'll make a small percentage off of you, so. The riskier you are to them, in theory, the higher the interest rate will be, right? And in, a, in an open market, right, without the Fed manipulating rates lower, if prices of homes 
get out of touch with reality, the interest rates will be higher because there's more risk for the bank or the mortgage company to loan that person money. So that person making you know small money in relation to their house that they want is the bank is going to say, okay, if you want this, you're going to be willing to pay this high interest rate as a premium because you are a risky client to us. But that dynamic has completely flipped because if the Fed just buys up all of these mortgages and there's really no risk to the bank and they can just flip them quickly to, to make a small percentage on whatever loans they dish out, the interest rates never rise because there's there's like no risk because the Fed takes on all the risk. But the Fed has no balance sheet. They, they don't care about profit and loss, so they just prop up the whole game. And then the... So, Yep. So how far away from reality do we have to get? Because I saw this thing about housing in housing in Montana. Yep. And so we have this sixteen hundred square foot house, three bed, two bath, sitting on less than two acres. How much would you pay for that house in Bozeman, Montana? Yeah. See that? Well, that's kind of like what I was saying to Blatty earlier, right? It's like, not n- all the real estate isn't created equal right it's like it's like what's the okay so what where are the jobs at over there do they have a do they have a city that you know do they have an industry out there where people can work and, and have gainful income or is it a vacation you know is it vacation land out there you know so it's not all created equal so i i have no idea what i would pay for i would have to look at that local market you know like not everything you know everyone just assumes all real estate appreciates which you know i can't even really blame them when they pump so much money and everything just seems to go up anyway right but like in terms of real value when things put on real value it's you know it's usually because there's a you know, there's a growing economy in the area like you look at austin these things are going under contract in in days right because austin's booming it's been booming and it seems to continue rural montana you know i have, I have no idea but well i guess this is to what Vladdy was saying all the people leave in the city mm-hmm. But so in 2017, this house was assessed for 369,000. Yep. That was 2017. It's 730,000. 730. Where is this? Is this like a, is Bozeman, this a ski, ski resort town? What it like? No. Uh, maybe. It, I don't know. How many acres? Only two? Not even two. But still, even, see, this is where I'm going to start getting crazy. It's like, I mean, who assesses it, right? So an assessment isn't an appraisal, right? An appraisal, the appraiser works for a bank. An assessor works for the city, okay? So there's two different goals. If, if, you're, getting your, if you're getting your house appraised, okay, it, it's, to, it's usually they're working for the bank. They're working for the bank to, uh, as part of their risk analysis, right? They, they want to see if that house is even worth the money that they're about to loan to you. An assessor works for the city, and when the city gets in financial trouble, right, because whatever social programs that they need to support, in usually in the cities, right, and they have to generate revenue somewhere. So what do they do? They look to the people for taxes. And, you know, one of the best ways is property tax. So the only way to increase property taxes is by doing reassessments on all of the, you know, the housing in the area. And that's essentially enabled by asset bubbles from the Fed, right? So, so the Fed creates these asset bubbles in housing, and then the state and local economies can then, you know, cash grab from all the owners, right, property owners, through taxes. But, that, I mean, that's an, that's an insane, right, that, that's three years, three years the thing doubles. But, at, you know, at the same time, these things don't always get assessed. So you can have major, 
disparities or whatever. Like you, it can be very out of touch with reality. You know, maybe that house that house probably sold in twenty seventeen for maybe five hundred, but it, it was assessed for for way less. That's that's not necessarily uncommon. And then all of a sudden you get an assessment. You know, some guy gets an office and he's like, we need to reassess everything because they're you know they're hurting on dough and they gotta they gotta go rape all the people of taxes so they go through everything and just reassess. So it's all a game. In twenty nineteen, it was four. What was it? I already lost it. Lost it. And that's the assessed value. Like assessed value is is typically significantly lower than the market rate. I mean, not always, right? You get these market crashes, and then maybe the assessed value is higher. But you know, typically speaking, the city assessment is going to be less than what the market value is. Yeah, that's what I noticed when I was looking. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I mean, <laughs> which is a good thing. Like <laughs> you want that because that that's how your taxes are generated. You know, you get a four hundred thousand dollar house. If anything, you want your house assessed at hundred <laughs> k. You want it lower? Well, they, for an assessment, right? And it's like an appraisal, an appraisal justifies you getting the loan from the bank. And an assessment comes from the city. That's how, that's how they're going to judge you on taxes, you know, oh, whatever okay. your quarterly taxes. So you know, up here in New Hampshire doesn't even, oh, no, New Hampshire has property tax. They know state income tax. But, yeah, New Hampshire has prohibitively expensive. Yeah, they got to make it somewhere, you know. That's the game. It all comes from somewhere. Nothing's free, if you haven't noticed. It all comes down to the same thing. It, it's it's but even like you like you guys are saying. So like so when is it too far, right? Like like when do things go too far? And I, I think that's that's a good question. It's probably the only question to really ask at this point, right? Because well, it, it, as long as you have an understanding of like what the hell is going on and, and why things are happening, like you know why why prices are skyrocketing when they shouldn't, you know, in a normal market, if the market was functioning properly, interest rates would would rise. And then, you know, you know, housing would flatten or come down, but it's not, it's clearly not. But then you look at these other, so then you look at these other programs, right? So you, so you have this whole coronavirus stuff, you get everyone locked inside, you get the, this crazy unemployment stuff that, that just, that basically incentivizes people to stay home. Then on top of that, right, on top of that, you have in the CARES Act, you have forbearance, right? Forbearance protection. So you don't even have to pay your mortgage for up to a year. No question, literally no questions asked, right? So the banks just have to do this because it was written into law. Although, albeit temp temporary, right? So you get a year if, if you wanted to do it. And that's, um, what's that? As long as there's a na the national emergency declaration, you can throw the thing into forbearance. You can only do it once. You get 180 days, and then you can re-up for another 180 days. So, you, you know, essentially you get a year. You get a year, you don't even have to pay your mortgage because of this shutdown that, that they've induced, right? At the same time, you have housing prices going through the roof. You got people refinancing. So it's, it's scary, it's creative, but if you think about all of the factors in play, right? So you got, they're inducing another housing bubble. Let's say you bought a house three years ago, five years ago, whatever. You, bought it, you probably bought it as a, at a decent price. The housing market has now has since skyrocketed because the Fed has manipulated rates lower. So all of a sudden, your house, from doing nothing to it, is worth more. At that valuation, you can go back to a mortgage company or a bank, get the thing refinanced. All of a sudden, even if you were struggling, you probably you're probably in a decent situation now because you dropped you dropped your rate down to two and a half percent. Maybe you saved two hundred, three hundred bucks on your mortgage payment if you bought it a couple of years ago. Then, 
on top of that, if you get into trouble, you can throw the thing into forbearance, right? So you get another year that you can save up and, and not foreclose. And, and on top of that, you have these eviction moratoriums or whatever, right, where you, where you can't evict people if you're, uh, you know, if you're a, a rental owner. So you have, I don't know, you have all these programs in place to just kick the can down the road. And that's all it is. It's like how, how long can you kick the can down the road before things collapse? And honestly, 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 I don't have the answer for it. I think, realistically, I think it's a lot longer than people expect because because of the amount of overreach that the Fed has committed this past year, I think it's I think it's a lot longer than, than people actually realize. But I mean, it is sketchy, right? So like, if, even if you even if you're ready to default on your on your mortgage, you can just you know not pay it legally. So the imminent crash that people call in for an imminent crash and stuff like that, I think if it was a normal environment, I think that's a very justified and educated opinion to have. But I think if you're looking realistically at all of these programs that have been put in place to literally just prop every single thing up, you know, I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot more gas in the tank, and and it, it's crazy because you know, and, and it's a. It sounds like a good thing, right? It's like, oh, you know, I, I got a house. It, there's more gas in the tank. You know, maybe my asset purchase will be great. You know, I'll, I'll make some money off this thing. But you know, not everything is created equal, right? So not everyone owns a house. Not everyone owns a house, and these people who rent, right, who have families and rent, like, like, dude, they're getting left in the dust, like, absolutely left in the dust, like, so, it, it, I don't know, not everything is equal, if, if you're on the right side of a trade, or, you know, the right side of whatever monetary action that gets put into play, then good for you, but if you're not, man, I, you know, I, I'm sorry for you, because... There's no voting on this stuff, right? There's no voting on how much money gets printed into existence. No, you know, it's just, it's, it's at the whim of all these Fed presidents. They get together and they make decisions, right? And then that's it. And then you're forced to deal with whatever the, uh, the burden is after. Yeah, and um, it, is, it is interesting that you say that um, things are going to go a lot further than... Um, than we think, like everything's just gonna get pushed back, pushed back, because uh, the Secretary of the Treasury, Janet Yellen, the other day reported that she wants, she doesn't really care about the future, she just wants to fix things right now. So that, <laughs> I mean, that's not uh, not promising for future generations, but. Well, that's all it is, it's like you, all you're doing, it's like drinking. You're just stealing happiness from a future. That's all it is. You just, it's like the hangover will come, right? It's like, how far can you push it down the road? So, like, it's crazy that in the past year, two years, nah, probably past, past year, or I guess if you really wanted to get fancy with it, you could say since the recession in, you know, 09, 10, 11. Like, everything you learned about working hard, saving money, like all that stuff. It's all the wrong advice. <laughs> like it's legitimately the wrong advice because in this environment, savers lose. If you are saving money, you're losing. Like that's what it is. And you can't do anything about it. It's the hidden tax, right? That's what they call it all the time. It's the money in your bank account from saving is legitimately losing value and you can do nothing about it. If you're not hedged, to inflation, you know, into assets that move with inflation. I mean, you're you're done. 
right? So you, you get these, you can get these people who, you know, they work their entire lives, whatever. They're trying to social, you know, social economic ladder. They're trying to, to move up or take their family out of it into the next level. But if, if they're not hedged to any assets that are, you know, benefit from this financial game, right? Because that's what it is. It's literally just a game that they play at the, t at the highest level. I mean, you're talking years, decades worth of productivity, decades worth of your life working to try to make your kids' lives better and all this stuff, just to waste, right? To waste if you, if you had it in cash, if you had it in cash and you weren't hedged to anything. And then that's it, right? And then the poor stay poor and the, and the rich get richer. It's, that, that's, that's literally the name of the game. But if you don't understand the game, if you don't understand that the entire game from the highest level is to devalue the currency that you are paid in, then, then, you know, you missed the mark. You lost it. Yeah, that's like in, uh, in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, when he says, like, the rich don't, um, like, they don't have jobs, so they don't pay taxes. So they, all their money is within real estate and other business because they, like, taxes, I mean, 20, 30 percent, whatever bracket you're in, that's a lot of money. So the rich, they always pay themselves first. They, uh, yeah. I mean, they, they're there to, they're, they want to pay themselves first. They don't want to give the government or anyone else really any money. So they know to how to get around and not pay taxes because that's probably, what, the number one oh, yeah. like, I mean, kind of expense. It, it's definitely, but, like, you know, that's not to say that, like, all taxes, you know, are, you know, should be gone. Like, taxes are a necessary evil in a lot of things, right? Like, in, in a purely, purely capitalist society, like, you can get major distortions in the market where, you know, you have these... That's, that's why, you know, unions are made and stuff like that, people protect. But, like, we're so far from that, you know. We're, we're so far from these massive titans of industry and then, you know, these, these you know, squeezing every single dime out of people, like, where, where it was just, like, a pure capitalist play. Now things are so over-regulated that, like, it's... it's everything, everything is propped up and rigged. But, like, the, like with taxes, all, like... The wealthy, really, to like to kind of summarize it, is, is their business owners, right? Like, there's two types of people. There's there's makers and there's takers, right? They're like, if the the wealthy aren't receiving W twos, you know what I mean? Like, like they're not employees. So, the economy and the tax code benefits. It's 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 incentives, right? Tax people think of taxes as like a penalty, right? I I always try to tell people it's like, when you're paying taxes, if you're paying a lot of taxes. It's a penalty on your own creativity. Like, because taxes, people, like, when I hear people say, like, oh, you know, I want to buy taxes because I want to support, you know, I, I support. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, uh, the private sector will always be better at meeting a goal than the government. The government is the slowest, most inefficient entity known to mankind. So when, when these businesses aren't paying taxes and stuff, it's because they're producing in a different way for the overall economy. So, so that's really what it is. If you're a, if you're an employee and you're not a maker, you're strictly a taker, right? Like you're you're going to work, you're taking a paycheck and structured two week increments and things like that. Like you're not making anything. You're not providing. You're providing your work. You're providing your labor to society, but you're not providing any other goods and services, right? You're not a producer. But when you're a producer in the economy, when you produce for you know the overall GDP of the country. There's going to be tax incentives, right? If you own real estate, there's going to be, you know, tax deductible interest payments and stuff like that. And they're all taxes are there to incentivize where money should flow. 
so you need to realize that like money comes from the wealthy right like it, it's like those Ray Dalio like economic videos it's like one one man's spending is another man's income right but like when when spending ceases you get an economic contraction right so you need to incentivize people with people come when I say people I mean people companies any large entity you need to incentivize those with money to spend whether that's on research and development, whether that's on you know some new products to market, things like that, that creates jobs, that creates money velocity, and that creates a healthy economy. So, the government, right? Because because you can't force anyone to spend, right? Let's say you're some you know big billionaire, you got a couple companies, you could sit back, you could do nothing, you could you could have your money rot in the bank. It could just rot there, right? And nobody gets to touch it. There's, there's no loans getting given out, but they can't have that, right? If you have a billionaire, you have all these billionaire or, or multi-billion dollar companies, and they're not spending, that's that's going to be a massive economic contraction, right? You're going to get people who need jobs. They're going to be sitting idle and, and being poor. So how do you incentivize the big pools of money to enter the economy? And, and I mean, that, that's where taxes come into play, right? So it's like, you know, tax the rich, tax this, incentivize this. So... It's just a big incentive game. I want, I want I, if anything, I guess what I'm trying to say is like people need to challenge their thinking of taxes as just uh, purely bad, and instead think of them as uh, incentives. Right? It's incentives on where the political or government financial landscape wants the money to flow into. If all of a sudden there's you know a bunch of tax incentives or you know deductions on real estate, well maybe that's because the government is trying to incentivize you know real estate you know builders to build more. So that's just an easy example, but no, you are right. I mean, there's there's a game to be played that if you're smart, you know, getting getting not getting away with paying less taxes. It, it, it's not it's not a dirty thing. It's not a dirty game. It, it means that you're producing more, you know, and your 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 money is going where it's incentivized by the government. So as three W two employees, all with different levels of assets, yep. like Vladdy looking for a house, me just owning my own house, and you owning a rental property. Yep. What's our play? Like in my opinion, at least what what I know to this point, right? I think hands down, hands down, if for the common man, for the common man, getting into rental real estate property is easily the best option to elevate yourself to the next level. Because you can, I mean, it, you know, but then you'll get people argue with you. Well, it's like, well, I could have put that same money in stocks, right? And made, yeah, you probably would have made a whole hell of a lot more, like, real this past year because of how propped up the whole thing has been, right? It's tough to lose money in the stock market when literally just everything goes up. It's just buy the dip, everything goes up. But if you're not a company, if you have, if you don't have this crazy credit, right? Because you're talking years worth of credit. If you if you want these million dollar loans to do deals and everything as as a as a small business. You're going to have to prove out to someone, to whatever this lender is, that, that you're creditworthy, right? Because the whole thing is based on how creditworthy you are. But the way the game is incentivized is the common folk through federally backed mortgages, you know, with, whether, whether it's an FHA or, or sometimes there's programs in like some low income areas as well, like no income limit, like 5% down loans. It's going to be one of the only ways you can access that much capital as you know, as a, as a layman, you know, as a, as a common, as a commoner, at least at this point in your career and in your life, right? So then all of a sudden you have legally a $400,000, $450,000 leveraged bet, a leveraged bet against the dollar. That 
also pays you to own it. It pays you to hold it, right? Because that's what it is. Uh, having these mortgages is literally just a sophisticated or unsophisticated way to bet against the United States dollar. Because what you're saying is, I am willing to take on a half a million dollars worth of debt because I'm making a bet that in 30 years from now, which a 30-year fixed rate is the only thing I would ever recommend when you're going into these, these mortgages, you're saying that in 30 years, the dollar will be worth so much less than what it is now that I will pay back my mortgage in cheaper dollars the entire way there as my asset appreciates. And my renters will pay to maintain that bet over 30 years' time. And the more I pay it down, my rents will also increase, and I'll pay more into the uh, principal. And at the same time, when you have your taxes, everything on that house is a depreciating asset, right? So you have these crazy tax incentives. It, it's basically, if you can come up with the money for a down payment, which, you know, for an FHA loan is 3.5% on a multifamily up to, up to four units. Five units, you, you have to do a commercial loan. Uh, so you, you can get up to four units, but it's not without risk, right? You got, you got, you know, again, old properties, you, you got people, you got to deal with people, you have problems, you got to have cash in hand if you got problems, broken water heaters and stuff like that. So, it, you know, it's not a walk in the park, but if you can come up with a down payment, right, and you got a decent property, you got decent tenants, you're basically taking for the cost of, let's say, $15,000, $20,000, you're putting down a half a million dollar bet that this thing is going to have capital appreciation in the future. So you're 20000 invested, right? And then, in a, so you look at, you know, even just an example on, on what's happened over the past couple of years. You've got these houses that have appreciated in value by $150,000. If you're the person who bought that a couple of years ago, you're $16,000, $20,000 in, and you could sell right now at 100% gain. You're going to tell me that in your novice stock trading ability, you can turn twenty k to $150,000 while also getting tax benefits the entire way? So... So you, people need to think about it like that, you know, it, it's, it's, you're taking, it's the only way for the common folk to get that much access to a leveraged bet that uh, more than likely will appreciate in the future. It's a leveraged bet against the dollar. And, you know, if you hold stock, you're not getting paid to own it, right? I mean, you, you maybe if you have dividends, right, if you're getting dividend payments, but I can, I can almost promise you that you're not, you know, you're not going to be getting the, the same amount of money in, in rental income. So that, that's that's just my opinion. I, I think at least for you know when you get big enough, there's all all these different financial ad, like things. You know you can get creative and do other other stuff. But for the person just starting out, I mean, if you're willing to rough it, maybe even live in one of these things, and then you know it's not fun. You don't want to be raising a family in a multifamily house forever. But to me, it's just it it's what could you know can still separate people and move people up the economic ladder. So to tie into a dig you get made against Blatty, what's the harm in buying now? If it's a 30-year bet, even though it's the top of the asset bubble, as you put it. Yeah. No, you're right. I guess it, it, it's you can make the same argument with you know stocks. It's like it's, before you make any bet, and that's what happens with all these Robin Hood kids, right? Like they don't, they don't distinguish a trade between an investment, right? An investment and a trade are two totally different things. If you're buying... A multifamily for a trade, you're going to flip it in a couple of years, okay? Then you need to do a different risk analysis, right? All, all of a sudden, you all of a sudden the risk to the downside increases. There might be a big crash. Also, you might be able to make some quick money, 
okay? But if it's a 30-year and you're willing to sit there on it forever and, you know, it is what it is, you're going to raise a family there, you're going to be there for 15 years, all right, then the game, you know, the game changed a little bit. Maybe you'll miss out on an opportunity when it retraces 30, you know, 30% and, and you could have bought the property much cheaper, right? But, no, you, you are right. It's, it's all a matter of your time horizon and, and, you know, what you're interested in, you know, how long you want to hold these things. But really, to be honest, if you're betting... Because that's what these things are at this point. The, the entire game is a casino. If you're betting on housing right now, if you're betting on stocks, which are at an all-time high, again, even though there's record unemployment still, right? No one's working. If you're betting on any of these things to go higher, you're not, in my opinion, you're not betting on a recovery, you're not betting on, you know, the economy to get better and all this stuff. You are legitimately betting on continued and increased central planning. You're, you, more government control, more government spending. That's what, that's what that bet is. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying just be clear that you know when you're making this bet, whether it's you're buying a house at $500,000 that was worth, you know, $200,000 less two years ago, whatever you're doing, just understand the bet. I'm never going to tell someone to do or not do something. It's just understand what you're actually saying or doing when you place that bet, you know? That's a, that's a pretty safe bet now. What, that everything, it's going to continue? Increase central planning, yeah. Yeah, and well, that's what it is, right? So, like, that's why when you when you talk to people who are actually have some conventional wisdom, who have lived through some crashes and stuff, you know, that, uh, or I, I talk to... Uh, my father or other people who have owned some houses through some crashes and stuff, and they're like, no, you're crazy. You, gotta, you know, this is going to pull back. This isn't sustainable. And I agree. I'm like, you know, you're right. However, I think you're missing this key ingredient of a complete change in what is the norm in monetary policy. And I, I, my thing is just I don't think it's as easy to go back once you go forward. You know, I, I probably one of the biggest examples. Actually, I think I don't know. You guys maybe fact check me on this, but I'm pretty sure uh, taxes to begin with. You know, were uh, supposed to be a temporary plan, right? Was that a World War Two, World War One temporary? Uh, you know, a couple of temporary. Ta- it's like fucking two weeks to two weeks to slow the spread. You know, two weeks to slow the spread turns into fourteen months of fucking economic despair. Like, yeah, I mean taxes. You, you know, you, if you look back, right, whatever late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, like. Like, the, the taxes weren't even a thing. And then taxes were for the ultra, ultra, ultra wealthy. I'm talking fucking 1%. Like, people were not getting taxed. And then, you know, they, they got to do these big war drives or whatever, drum up some money. And uh, fast forward, I don't know, 100 years, and, uh, yeah, taxes are still increasing. So, <laughs> and, and I'm pretty sure where we finished World War Is World War One still going on? I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I think it was actually in the uh, the Civil War. The Revenue Act was imposed... Um, a 3% tax on incomes over $800, and that was only supposed to last a couple of years. So. Oh, well. But <laughs> what was the, uh, the Civil War was, what, a couple of, that was a couple of years ago, right? What yeah. was that? Um, well, the Act, so it was in 1861. It was supposed to expire. What was it? 1961? 18... Oh, it was, eight, eight, it was 200 years ago. <laughs> hey, the frog in the pot. Oh, it was two, 200 years ago. Huh, interesting. Frog in the pot. how that works out. Somewhere in here, there's a joke about the Confederate flag. 
but I'll leave that alone. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be best. So even if you just look at that, right? Even if you just take that for what it's worth, and you see and you say, oh, well, this is temporary, this is temporary, the, you know, central planning is temporary, well, uh, the, the Fed will end up raising rates again and things will get back to normal. It's like, are you out of your fucking mind? Like, th- that's it. They've worked themselves into a corner. That's it. There, there's no more. I mean, you raise rates, it's over. Everything's over. The, 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 the bubble collapses. So you're at this point where it's an everything bubble. It's quantitative easing, infinity, right? And it's just, if, if it stops, the game ends. So they're just not going to stop. So the, it, it's basically you're betting on that. You're betting, and that's, that's why you see, you know, maybe it's a different topic for a different day, but that's why you see this rise in, in crypto. You see, you know, or uh, gold, other assets and stuff, because everyone's, it's, it's a hedge against inflation. It's a hedge against the dollar devaluing. But it, it's not, it's also, you know, it's a bit more complicated than people make it seem because, you know, it's a basket of currencies, right? The, the, the dollar isn't the only player in the game, you know? You, you know, you got the Chinese yuan, yuan you, you know, you got all these other currencies, the, the euro, the, uh, the pound, like, so everyone is devaluing. So it's not just like the U.S. is the only one devaluing. So, I don't know, you can even make arguments as long as you're the strongest of the weak, you know, Maybe you'll be okay for longer, but, you know, maybe that's a discussion for another day, but at least the basics are, you know, you, when you buy these mortgages, it's a bet against the dollar. It's a pretty safe bet. You know, if, if you think, if you think that the central planners, the Federal Reserve, the, you know, the general government landscape is going to get more conservative, then maybe you don't bet on some of these things, or, you know, maybe you bet them to the downside, but I'm of the opinion at this point that I, you know, I really don't see conservative economics really becoming in style anytime soon. All right. This is great. <laughs> this was fun. I feel like I just yelled into the mic. Like, I wanted to talk about, I wanted to talk about other things too. Have you guys seen those fucking Pokemon cards? <laughs> oh, the McDonald's <laughs> Pokemon ads? Exa- yes. But like, McDonald's do you guys, do you guys get what was the other one? Though? Oh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. They also did one where if you buy a box, That's you get saying. Pokemon cards. Do you, like, but you guys see that, right? So these kids, right, it's the same, it's the same thing, dude. It's, it's Robin Hood. It's the trading card. And I'm not saying, I'm saying, I, I'm not anti any of this stuff, dude. Go make your money, right? Go make these trades. Like, some of the best money can be made in, in some of these boom and bust cycles that mean nothing, right? But when you have people, when you have, you know, your, your mom's uncle, you know, your uncle, grandmother texting you saying, hey, like, what's this Bitcoin thing all about, right? Or you're like, hey, uh, did you get any GME? And I'm just like, oh, my God. And then, then you get someone to be like, hey, uh, I'm going to go buy 20 Happy Meals because if I average 20 Happy Meals, I have a 30% chance of getting a fucking rare Pokemon card. It's like, what the actual fuck is going on? And what that is, is, you know, you, you can you call them manias, whatever, it's fun, or sport, you know, sports betting, all this stuff. But in reality, dude, if you look at the root cause of all that stuff, it's the, it's the same culprit, dude. It's, it's the Federal Reserve. If the Fed didn't make massive asset bubbles, if, if you could work a normal job and afford a house and didn't have to YOLO everything in your fucking account to try to just scrape to get ahead in life, that psychology of the entire nation would change. If you could be an electrician and comfortably own a home and a vacation home while, I don't know, maybe your wife or husband stayed home with the kids, like, 
Nobody would be YOLO in sports bets. No one would be going to McDonald's buying 10 fucking Happy Meals, handing them out to homeless people to try to get a Pikachu. Well, like, that's, that's going to sell also... that they can flip on eBay. So, like, it's funny as long as you don't get hurt, right? As long as you're the one not holding the bag at the end. But, like, when I see that stuff, in my head, I'm just like, dude, the only way that this stuff even gets enabled to enter into human psychology and, like, a commonplace thing is because the Fed creates these asset bubbles that make a quality of life run away from people at a quicker pace than they can increase their own, you know, income. And that's a problem. That's but it's but it's hidden and it's so nuanced and, and you try to explain that to someone who's buying fucking Pokemon cards, it's gonna go right over their head. But the Pokemon cards could also I know a lot of people are doing it now to try and get uh, rich quick. They they pull whatever a first edition like mm-hmm. Charizard or whatever it is. But for the most part it started off as like a hobby. Like people genuinely liked Pokemon and yep. but now it's just becoming like um uh, like a financial scheme, so it's almost like that chart, right? That chart I showed you guys. There's nothing wrong with with having hobby. There's nothing wrong. Like collect people have collected stamps. You know, people have collected stamps and rare coins forever. Like, you know, there's there's no real intrinsic value, but that doesn't mean somebody won't buy it for you know a more expensive price in the future. I'm not against that. I'm just saying when these manias happen, you know, when when manias happen when there's no real value behind it. Yeah, it's fun. Go have fun. Hopefully, you guys make some money, but. Oh, I guess all I'm saying is, is when it gets, you know that chart I said, right? Smart money comes in, and then it's this, and then it, you know it tops out. You get the bull trap, capitulation, like that. I mean, you could literally say that about what you're seeing right now with the with. I mean, fucking McDonald's is using it as a marketing thing, like that. <laughs> just and and it's gonna work. It's gonna work. <laughs> well, yeah, because they slip Genius. in they slip yeah. in some Pokemon cards that are practically gonna be worthless. Yeah. But they throw in the ones here and there, but you have to buy whatever five six dollar Happy Meal, and people are buying twenty at yeah every at single a, time. Right? Box, so, so you throw in two hundred bucks at McDonald's, but then and then you get right. So, but then it just gets perpetuated even further because in the twenty first century you have social media, right? And it's the same thing with Robin Hood. It's the same thing with the lottery. It's like if if you're putting five grand. On some bet or whatever, you get a hundred thousand dollars in leverage in Robinhood. Like ninety-nine percent of those people are going to lose, but I can guarantee you, one kid is gonna fucking win, and he's gonna win so big, and then put it on TikTok and put it on Instagram, and then because human beings are human beings and we are emotional beings, it takes over and it clouds people's brains, and then the mania happens, and most people lose. I'm willing, like. The amount of people who lose, granted it was little money, but the amount of people who lose in these bubbles, are, I mean, it's like in, in these little, you know, mini bubbles, whether, whether it's cards or, or trading these penny stocks and stuff, it's overwhelming the amount of people who lose. But you will get people who win big that will just keep it going. It's, it's like when you go play golf and you suck all day, but then you hit one just absolute seed down the fairway and it makes you come back every single time. And it's, it's the same thing with anything else. Like, it, it's... It'll just get multiplied because of social media. It's just, it's an interesting time, to say the least. Hey, you do have to chalk it up to McDonald's, though. They, they're marketing over the past couple, like, over the past years. But at years, what point is it wrong? Right? At they, what point do, like, do you care about well, first they did Well, first they did the, like, the Cactus Jack that, meal. Over one billion ba- cases of uh, diabetes. Well, yeah, obesity. Like, yeah, that's what hey, it is. It's like, they're um, there to serve 
a purpose too. They're there to give food for cheap money. And then when Population you when you supplement Cactus they're Jack, there, they did the Cactus Jack they're burger. They're there to they make money Pokemon. for their shareholders. Period. <laughs> hey, and hey, you know what? Actually, a fun fact to tie this in. This wow, what not? This is going to be the perfect ending of this. You know who? Actually, you guys might want to fact check me on this. I might be wrong. I think I already know your answer. Do you know who the biggest landowner in America is? Like yes, uh, Subway. <laughs> So, are these fast food chains, fast food chains, or are they wealth-creating real estate moguls that will last generations by owning some of the most popular real estate on corner lots across the country and across the globe? Something to consider. Maybe they're just real estate moguls under the facade of a cheap burger joint. Yeah. It is crazy. Uh-oh. Episode 2. I can talk about Harvard, <laughs> Yale, Brown, all these things who are actually just fucking very sophisticated, Ooh. massive tax haven hedge funds that masquerade as an elite Ivy League institution. All right, everybody, that was your that was your <laughs> teaser for episode two. So I guess you'll just have to stay tuned to get that ready for it. bit of information. All right, I'm out of here. I'm fucking all right. This mic better work next. <laughs> time. We'll figure it out. All right.